Hi. Um, so I just wanted to warn people that are listening to this podcast that we're going to be talking about COVID and working class uh, issues around COVID and how it truly affects working class people. And we are pro-vaccine and we be- we are all vaccinated in this uh, segment as well, too. And I am talking with doctors who have more knowledge on this than I do. Uh, but also, please go to your doctor if you would like more information on COVID. Please go to your doctor if you would like more information on how to be treated. And if you have COVID, please go to your doctor. Um, do not take what these doctors who are not your doctor as the black and white say so for all. Um, they are doctors giving their opinions. Um, but go to your doctor if you would like more real information. But enjoy the episode. Peace in our human family. Volume and unity. Divine light shining individually. Collectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jabari VS podcast again. Um, and today we have a special guest uh, podcast host who are also doctors, um, and we're going to talk about um, COVID response and all types of things um, with COVID in this country, the United States. Um, so I'll let them introduce themselves first and uh, tell me what kind of doctor you are. <laughs> There's so many. Um, you go ahead. Okay, so I'm Sigmund. Um, I'm a psychiatrist slash child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm living in Boston. And uh, I'm Fidel. I'm an anesthesiologist currently doing a fellowship, which is just a subspecialty year in acute pain and regional anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll be done with that in the summer. And I live in Pennsylvania. Okay, awesome. And um, you have a podcast that is called... M. Oh wait, that went into the back. That's supposed to go in the front. There we go. <laughs> uh, Mar- Marxist and medicine. I love the name. This is dope. So, everybody that already listens to me, they should already know exactly what's about to go down here. We got to give the real <laughs> talk about how important working class issues are, especially around with this COVID stuff. Um, and they were telling me about uh, how I had this crazy doctor on, guys. I like to always be transparent. Um, that doesn't even have his license anymore. And uh, there was a lot of things that he was saying that was inconsistent. Um, and there were some things that he said that was cool, with, like farmer and stuff like that. But we're going to get into what exactly um, is the right direction with uh, dealing with this type of thing, because I feel like... We, uh, myself in general, I get caught up with just the daily news of what is heard 
24-7, especially what's happening with Fauci now and stuff like that. But it's also a bigger nuance to understand instead of getting distracted with uh, what capitalists are doing and how they are controlling um, the narrative of this uh, uh, va- vascular disease. That did that sound smart? I said vascular disease, right? Is that... <laughs> It's just all the poison coursing through our veins of society. <laughs> all those atherosclerotic plaques of capitalism <laughs> popping off uh, into our brains and stroking out. What is... I don't know what you just... <laughs> it's it's all the bad stuff. I was just going with the <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Dave, all right. So clearly I went to only public school. So um, <laughs> we're, what we're going to do is... Um, the first thing, um, what do you guys, what do you guys take on what is happening right now? Um, just, just for starters, like let's just look at what's happening right now. Um, we're already over seven hundred fifty thousand casualties. Um, what, what do you think? The, do you think the United States is uh, well? Biden and them are they doing better, or is there still a lot of issues that they are not really covering? I, I would say uh, the only thing I think Biden is doing better is acknowledging that the uh, that COVID is real um, and not, you know, cultivating this hysteria of, um, you know, how much should we care about this? Is it actually real? Is the vaccine worth getting? I mean, when Trump was in office, he was, you know, pandering to his base saying like, well, I got the vaccine. Well, you don't have to if you don't want to, you know, like that kind <laughs> after of thing. being booed at a rally. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Getting booed at a rally, be like, oh, actually, like if you don't want the vaccine, then then don't like, OK, that's not super um, inspiring from the leader of the, you know, quote unquote, free world. So the mm-hmm. only thing Biden's really doing that's better, I would say, is acknowledging that we should like take it seriously. And mm-hmm. that's about the least that <laughs> you can do. Um, yeah, he's doing some of these mandates, which, you know, um, I, I get the, you know, all my freedom people, the libertarians out there who might, you know, be a little upset at this, but if you're going to end an, a global pandemic, you gotta, you gotta use some, oh, I'm going to say it authoritarian measures. Okay. Mm. Cause guess what? Society is formulated around authoritarian measures. It just depends who that authoritarianism benefits and right now, authoritarianism benefits capital, it benefits the ruling class, it benefits the status quo, it benefits the owners of society. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to sit around and be like, we can't use authority, we can't exercise power because that makes us just as bad as them, you're going to sit around uh, for a long time hoping that things get better because mm-hmm. your oppressors are never going to uh, help you um, in any capacity, basically. Um, so the response right now is still dangerously lacking. The pandemic is still raging. Um, There's no trust in government uh, for good reasons, which I think we'll get into later. Um, And at this point for, you know, I I hear people say like, oh, well, you know, back when the pandemic, you know, was raging back when things were bad, it's like things are still bad. Um, The only Mm -hmm. things, the only reason things are a little better now is because we uh, have gotten to a, certain capacity of vaccinated people. Um, but think of how much better off we could be if uh, people actually place trust in each other, in society and in our government. Um, and none of those things exist uh, in the United States right now. Yeah. And I think it's 
like almost like two different realities, right? Like where a lot, well, I think where I'm living, um, you know, vaccination, fully vaccinated people rates like are reaching like 70%. So like getting pretty close to herd immunity. And that's also the case in a lot of the New England states, um, especially in, if you look at, say, example of like New Hampshire or Maine, where they really weren't hit very hard by the initial pandemic, like mm-hmm. that looks drastically different from, say, like Florida or um, a lot of other states where your vaccination rates are still kind of in like the 50s, maybe 60 percent. And you're still having a lot of people get sick. And they were definitely hit like pretty hard, especially in the major population centers in the first wave of the pandemic. Um, And the difference between the Biden and the Trump administration is just like the culture war thing, right? Like the good guys, quote unquote, are in charge. They're all wearing blue. They're all like wearing little pins that say I got vaccinated just like I voted. Um, but like the substantial response to the vaccine isn't really any different. Like we don't have any rent relief. We haven't forgiven medical debt for like the hundreds of thousands of people who survived COVID, but like are now, you know, facing bankruptcy. Um, like we have still just like, like both Trump and Biden administrations have just like kind of greased the wheels of capital just so like that can function um, while putting all the burden of like dealing with this you know, worldwide pandemic onto individual people with like no support from the government. So with, with, with uh, healthcare, so you're saying that um, basically it's, it's more of a burden just on the healthcare part. Um, we don't have to get into the whole economic uh, housing and all that stuff like that. That's, that's also a part of it, but we're talking about medical right now. <laughs> um, so with uh, health insurance, um, has that, that that's a very strong burden, right? Because uh, a lot of people are covered, and now they're doing copays and mm-hmm. I don't I, uh, whatever they have to do just to get care. And that was just a very lax response, right? Between yeah, that as well too. I mean, yeah. like even if you're paying, I think the average what monthly p- premium in this country is like four or five hundred dollars for an individual, even higher for families. And that's like before you even go see a doctor, right? Like that's what you just pay like straight off the top. And to see a doctor, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a family doctor and you go to urgent care, maybe it's $40. If you go to the ED, it's going to be $200 or maybe Mm. even like a coinsurance where you're paying a percentage of like your total bill, which can be thousands of dollars. Right. And so like when you already have people who can barely afford like the situation that they're in, I think what like half of Americans couldn't afford like a $400 emergency. Yeah. Like and that's people- an actual fact. Um, a lot of people try to say, that. I don't think that's true, but the, the people that are saying that are well off making over $50,000 a year. So they don't, they don't see that. <laughs> Those are people who are like guilty and don't, and want to, you know, like cover their eyes. Uh, and if right. they cover their eyes, that means what's real is not in front of them. It's basically right. regression to childhood more or less. I'm not the child psychiatrist, of course, but I think, <laughs> I think Sigma will back me up on that. Yeah. You're an honorary one. We, we hung on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So like health insurance before the pandemic was, was, um, Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yeah, you can you can curse on this podcast. Um, <laughs> fucking atrocious. That's what there health insurance has been and was before COVID. If you live in the United States, here's the scheme. Okay, uh, if you can afford it, at least. So you have to pay a monthly premium, which, uh, like Sigmund said, for the average like single person, four hundred, five hundred dollars a month. 
um, okay, if you're making even, let's say, $15, you know, quote, minimum wage, it's not actually mm -hmm. federal minimum wage is $7.25, which is a slap in the face. And like, how is that even still possible in 2021? But that's another discussion. Right. So you're talking $400 a month just for a health insurance premium. Okay. When you have to go pick up a medication, you're going to pay a copay. And if it's an expensive one, and like, let's say Lyrica for uh, diabetic neuropathy, you're probably going to pay at least 50 or $100. If you take Wellbutrin for depression, you're going to pay like 60 bucks maybe for, uh, for a copay when you go pick it up from the pharmacy. When you go to the doctor, there's a copay potentially for to see a specialist, especially. Uh, if you have to go get lab work, if you have to go have imaging done, there's a copay for that. Um, not only that, when you actually you know, enter the hospital, when you have these, uh, these costs, these health and, uh, healthcare costs, there's a deductible that you're on the hook for up to, you know, 2000, 3000, $4,000 before the insurance company starts paying anything. So mm. all of this leads to the question, which Americans are asking, which is, which is quite valid. Um, what's the fucking point of paying a premium? If I have to pay all this other stuff on top of that, um, right. why, why would I pay, um, a monthly price and then all this stuff out of pocket on top of it? And, mm -hmm. and the reasoning is, or the reason for that is health insurance companies are ripping us off. They, yeah. they have, they serve no purpose. They're purely a middleman that cuts off the top and pockets the money. They serve absolutely no purpose and they get between patients and doctors. Um, that was before the pandemic, right? This all existed prior. It's only worse now, only getting worse now. You want to talk about not just COVID, people with long COVID, people with neurological symptoms, vascular issues after the fact, after getting COVID and surviving, uh, other chronic illnesses uh, that ensue afterward. I mean, we, people we, who had strokes, like because mm -hmm. of being in the ICU with COVID and now yeah. all the neurological sequelae of that. So like yeah. even just like indirect effects. Can we talk about that for a second? Um, um, and then coinciding on how CARE is, is doing with that. If you guys yeah. know any information on that, like what's so, the side effects that have been known through COVID after surviving COVID? So I think we're still like pretty early in terms of like looking at the longitudinal data after COVID, right? So mm -hmm. we're in this now entering our second year, our first year and a half. Somehow. I think it's still, we're still yet to see like the true um, effects of like what long COVID is going to be. Um, I know there's a lot of people who still have obviously like if you've had strokes because you're in the hypercoagulable state because you were sick with COVID, like that comes with years and years and years of like physical therapy, mm -hmm. like nursing care. Um, yeah, think about having residual weakness on one side or like having speech issues or, you know, I mean, there's so many things like a stroke is a very broad term. Let's like it's like cancer. You can't put it into one box. It's very broad. It could be a lot of different things. But yeah, but I think we're we're not going to see the true cost, uh, like true, sorry, the true, true cost of COVID for many, many more years. And there will be mm -hmm. lots of more studies on it. Um, but I think the effect of the system that Fidel is describing, right, this like for-profit healthcare system where all of our interactions with the medical system is mediated by this middleman who only exists to um, basically make money off of your health mm -hmm. um, is like incredibly alienating. Like even just like thinking about the experience of going to the doctor, right? Like you don't talk to your doctor first, you talk to the front desk first, and then they ask you for your credit card because you have a copay. That's even before like a single fucking word is said to your doctor. Yeah. And then you go see your doctor and they might be nice, they might be good, they might be terrible, whatever. They give you a prescription 
And every at every single point in the healthcare system, it's like every interaction costs you something. So people have this, you know, feeling that like, oh, like the system only exists to make money off of me, which is true. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. that it doesn't do good. Um, but we're starting off with this like profound alienation from a system that should be a public good. And mm -hmm. then like, and then you wonder like, why are people so distrustful of medicine, of science, of healthcare in general? And right. then if I can also add to the distrust um, of, of, uh, of science, medicine, I mean, conspiracy is dangerous and we see a lot of conspiracy theories um, around mm -hmm. COVID, but scientism can be very dangerous too. Um, you want to talk about the Tuskegee experiments, you know, uh, allowing people with syphilis to continue to have syphilis, uh, right. mostly black Americans just to they didn't you know, know that they had syphilis neither too, right? Mm. Like they wasn't aware that they had syphilis. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't tell them they had syphilis because they were interested to see, oh, let's just see what happens. Like, you know, these are people's lives, but like, whatever, you know, it's more important for science to, uh, to, to see what happens, even though this is someone's life. Um, and all of the other kind of shady things that our government has been up to in general. Mm. I mean, um, we have to understand that the, the distrust of government in the, U in the United States is justified. Um, especially when you're talking about minority groups, um, the disabled, like undocumented people. We talked about the Tuskegee experiments, uh, Operation Mockingbird, MK mm -hmm. Ultra, um, you know, imperialist aggression over the past century, basically. Everything the CIA has been up to, Radio Free, Radio Free Europe, Radio Free Asia, the complete abandonment by the Democrats of the working class. All of these compounding into... Um, this mindset of why should I trust anybody? And then when you get into a doctor's office, like Sigmund is saying, everything is a transaction. Everything is a, how much does that cost? Everything is a, can I afford that? Can I right. afford to go to physical therapy um, after seeing a chronic pain doctor? Can I afford this medication? Can I afford this procedure? And how are you going to trust a medical system where every single decision depends on if you can pay for it or not? I mean, what, what mm -hmm. kind of solidarity does that build? What kind of trust does that build? So we're already starting from behind. Then you want to ask people to trust these same entities who are telling them, get the vaccine, uh, trust science, tr you know, trust doctors. And mm -hmm. people are looking around, why? Why should I? So we have mm -hmm. to start from there of understanding people's uh, ref not really reflexive, like honestly understandable distrust of the of the medical community. And that's not even talking about the AMA, the American Hospital Association, all of these, you know, interest groups and all this bullshit that um, purportedly, uh, supposedly um, is patient centered, but really is all about uh, maintaining um, certain people's positions within the medical industrial complex. So we have to start from there to, mm. under to truly understand the scope of what is happening. Yeah, I, I would say that I am definitely someone that um, get mixed up with with just trusting um, big pharma and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, especially um, hearing all this new information that I've been reading about with ivermectin and everything about that, um, it it it's it, it can get distracting, and you just I lose my mind just off of that part. It just like I have to remember that like okay but these are some trusted positions here and what is the media saying um compared to what actual doctors actual good physicians that are saying that actually have been giving the, the best they could do especially given the circumstances of who can get care who cannot get care 
and what are the results to that? Um, but yeah, the media can literally drive you crazy. It really you know? can because <laughs> it's just like a barrage of information and yes. all these institutions and groups that we've uh, that we've mentioned, like whether it's the American Medical Association, Hospital Association, or news media organizations, or the CDC, or non-governmental organizations, like they all have competing interests, which sometimes align and sometimes don't, but it's always mm-hmm. to the um, to their own benefit as an organization and perpetuating itself, right? And sometimes right. if you're a corporation, that's an interest of profit. And that doesn't always necessarily mean it's completely orthogonally aligned with like, making good products like we know that like dick pills work right viagra's real we know that's functional like insulin is good insulin helps people with diabetes chemotherapy like is helpful for treating cancer um so i feel like just a like kind of a simplistic analysis of like big pharma bad or like hospital evil isn't necessarily helpful um Mm -hmm. like in figure in like kind of parsing out just like a barrage of news stories that just like hit you every day i -hmm. think like what helps me stay grounded is just like okay so looking at like why is it that conspiracy-minded thinking like proliferates and like what is the actual and like antidote to it because like conspiracy theories like for like they function in a sec like they function to fulfill a psychological need, right? Like right. if it was just the fact that people didn't know the truth, like we could just liberally debunk our way out of it. But that's not the case. Like otherwise, like um Snopes would have moved beyond like the need for existence. Like what's the thing that gives out like three Pino- like Pinocchios or whatever? It's like yeah. uh, Well the oh, sad yeah. part is Snopes can't even be trusted now, neither, because they are <laughs> literally like in bed with these companies and they have been called out on a lot of things they try to say mm-hmm. is factual and that's I sad mean, <laughs> yeah, but like right like but debunking these specific theories i think is like not really helpful because conspiracy like conspiratorial thinking arises from like number one just like a cognitive bias that people have and number right. two a psychological need in a time of chaos and we know that like capitalism itself is prone to crises as we get into late stage capitalism we're going to see more and more crises so we're going to see this type of thinking just kind of proliferate and people like individually need ways to explain what's going on and there's this bias that people are prone to and everyone is and it's something called consequence cause matching so the bigger the consequence or bigger the crisis like greater the sense of chaos, right, for people and uncertainty and loss of control. And this is a sense that is just like really upsetting and not fun for just like humans in general. So like Mm -hmm. there's a greater need to look for a cause. And big events should have big causes is kind of like the heuristic that people go off of. So the worse the outcome, the more likely there are to be conspiracy theories. So like say in COVID, if only a couple thousand people died, only like the fringe people, you know, whose family members might have been affected or whose jobs might have been affected might have a conspiracy theory. But like we had 700,000 people die and counting, right? So like yeah. we can only expect to see more of this. So the way that you get out of this, though, isn't to debunk theories or like tell them that they're stupid or like we have to trust science because like that's not what the what it's fulfilling like these people fundamentally are alienated from their lives and any meaningful sense of control so like we have to work on actual like building power as like a working class politics 
and like taking back control in a meaningful way of our lives rather than seeking mm. it out through like myth making. That's right. exactly what I was going to say. What what fuels the conspiratorial thinking is the fundamental lack of power that people have in their daily lives. And mm. they're searching for um, any reason to make sense of the horrors that they are in, they are encountering every single day with news media. Yeah. Family friends saying, oh, did you hear this story? Um, there's there's so much uh, chaotic energy um in the world right now, not just COVID. I mean, you, we have, you don't even touch on climate change. We haven't even touched yeah. on all uh, the zillion things that are wrong with our world. Right. So people need to make a sense of it. And a lot of it comes from this sheer fact that, um, the, the powerlessness that drives this psychology, they need some kind of answer for this. Um, and it leads down. And when, when you have a fundamental distrust of news media, uh, which, again, is not always a bad thing because, again, mm-hmm. we briefly talked about Operation Mockingbird. And these mm-hmm. these news media outlets do, man, they exist to manufacture our consent, right? Uh, which is what Noam Chomsky talks about a lot. So the only way to get out of this, yeah, is not to do the liberal thing, which is to like, hey, read this article and then you'll understand what I'm talking about. This the shit doesn't work. And I see I saw it a lot on Instagram uh, over the past few months about all we have to do is just educate people on the vaccine. No. People have already made up their mind on the vaccine, right? Yeah. It's not, it, 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 I'll give a brief example. My friend was talking about Project Veritas, um, one of my old co-residents. He's talking about Project Veritas, the James O'Keefe, basically like filth propaganda outlet that literally like makes up news stories, cuts video footage to make it look like something that it's not. And I sent him, um, just as an experiment, I sent him four or five different uh, articles like, dot orgs that are devoted to debunking project veritas and the message he sends back is you really believe this stuff do you do you even read the, <laughs> the, the sources i'm like dude i spent like 30 minutes doing research at least and you didn't even read any of the articles people are already convinced when they are predisposed to a certain way of thinking right. from their fundamental lack of power yeah um, and it becomes an issue when you see uh, mainstream media instead of like trying to have a discussion about these vaccines they're automatically trying to make um the people that they can make look like clowns it was like oh he's an idiot he's dumb uh, he's, he's doing horse dewormer all that stuff like they're just doing they're doing everything they can to try to make people that make different decisions look like awful people but it's like that doesn't help you don't you don't get you don't convince someone by calling someone stupid like yeah that makes them double down (laughs) yeah Yeah. or they also do both things right like they sensationalize like any side effect they're like oh my god like what could be in your water that's killing you it's like this cognitive dissonance where they're like playing to any sort of sensationalist tactic that'll like sell them views right right and i think i think that they're doing this because this is the new this is uh, we were just talking about conspiracy theory, theories, but this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the oligarchs had so much fun making money off of Trump, and now that Trump is gone, they, they're like, fuck, we're losing views. Who who could we make fun of now? I mean, uh, I think they should bring out Biden. Yeah. <laughs> or Biden or something. Biden's funny. They got to bring him out more. I mean, yeah. whenever they do bring him out once every you know couple weeks, he, he usually yeah. does something funny. Like, didn't he just fart in front of some... Yeah, Duchess uh, of Cambridge or something. Yeah, I mean, didn't he fall asleep at like the G seven? 
Yes, yeah, in front of the Pope or something like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if G7 or what. I thought he fell asleep in front of the Pope. Yeah, he's dude, old. it's hilarious. They got to bring him out more. My grandma, like, well, my grandpa. <laughs> yeah. He can't be leaving the country. He's fucking old. Like, you gotta, you gotta go home and chill and live the rest of his days. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I definitely see that because I have done that before. I've sent research to people about certain things, and they're just like. Uh, I don't know. Like the, this headline says, blah blah blah. I'm like, damn, bro, you look at the headline and you already like, right? Yeah, people yeah. people don't you know they don't have the time to sit and actually read the article. Not that it would change their mind, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because kind of hitting on what Sigmund alluded to a little bit earlier, I don't think there's just two realities. I think there are thousands of different realities that currently exist, and mm-hmm. uh, there there's this sort of um, I don't know, when you talk about philosophy, right, one of the first things you need to do is define terms. And n- if nobody can agree on it, the initial terms of a discussion, not even a debate, that's that's for liberals. If you're mm-hmm. talking about just a conversation, right, about something, um, if you can't even agree on the terms to have a discussion, how are you going to have a meaningful discussion, right? right? If you can't even agree, if you're talking to a conservative, right, if you can't even agree on what capitalism is, what it means, who it serves, if you can't even agree on what communism means, if you can't even agree on basic scientific facts, if you can't even agree on the most basic things, how are you going to get anywhere? And mm-hmm. society is rife with this kind of uh, uh, of problem. And it depends on largely what demographic you fall into, meaning what kind of news you consume, uh, what kind of social media you use, More likely, if you're more likely to use. Instagram versus Twitter versus Facebook. Um, it's this kind of stuff, right? Um, that predisposes you to a certain way of thinking. And that is why the reason why nobody can agree on anything is because people are living in a thousand different realities. So how can we possibly come to an agreement on anything? Mm. That is a fundamental problem in the United States. And news media drives that. And it makes a lot of money on that. Yeah, mm. And not just news media. Now with like, as you mentioned, Instagram, um, as I think people become just more economically precarious, like you have, ev- like everyone wants to be an influencer now, right? And yep. sometimes you get that by um, peddling kind of these inflammatory beliefs, like whether or not you believe it. I think there's there was like a rash of QAnon um, influencers who were like basically like failed actors and singers, right? Like you got to make your bag somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean in absence of like a actual working class uh, movement that people can plug into and feel connected to other people and feel like they can actually take control over some part of their lives meaningfully, right. you kind of can't blame them. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, but you see it on Instagram. Um, the influence is just like everything now. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm at the gym. Check me out at the gym and stuff. And, I mean, I get it. That's cool. It's Instagram, but like, it's, well, I think it, part of that is, this is the, the commodity that they want. This is what this. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what are you going to say? Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think this is largely again from the fundamental powerlessness that people experience in the economic sector. Like, there's so mm-hmm. much precarity in the world. People are, I mean, debt is basically used as a means of control, especially in the yes. United States at this point. Um, so people have no access to wealth. Uh, most people don't have any access to wealth. They don't own anything but their ability to work. Uh, so the only thing they can really do, the only capital they can build, they, they have no shot at economic capital. So that 
so they go on Instagram, they go on Twitter, mm -hmm. they try to get the cultural capital, the social capital, right? That's mm -hmm. the only means they have of exerting any influence or potentially any power. So I, I get why the rise in, you know, the influencer thing, I understand why it's there. It's again, it's, and I don't want this to be the locus of my entire analysis, but <laughs> a lot of it does stem from a complete lack of power, complete. And uh, how do you, how do you put power back in the hands of people? It's not through, you know, elevating the voices of people on Instagram. It's not through, you know, those kinds of things. It's the, the way you do it is to put people, put power back in people's hands at the workplace, put pe power in the people's hands uh, where they live in their communities. Mm. Right. Um, and, you know, that's maybe a bigger conversation, but um, the rise in the influencer thing, I think, makes a lot of sense from that perspective. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're always talking about what other ways can we continue to, like, make money. But, but they, they put it in a nice little glamorous, a nice glamorous package. Um, but I see it as how else can we survive? We lost this. Economy shot. Mm -hmm. There's no more middle class. What else can we do to survive? How how can we survive? What 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 do we have in our hands that can make us do these uh un these things about unreasonable tasks just to survive in this world in this in this country basically? And this is all we know, you know. We don't know how other countries run. I mean, I freaked out when I heard that other countries was giving people a check every two weeks, and I'm just like, y'all call yourselves the richest country in this world. But you can't give your own people to a check every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But Jordan could do it. And Jordan's GDP is way different than ours. Yeah. I mean, they did it in Canada. It was insufficient. Yeah. But, you know, like my mom got laid off and she, she got a relief check. Um, yeah. And I think like for what a co like a more coherent um, COVID response looks like, like we can look to other countries, right? Like we can mm. look to the shining star, Cuba. I mean, they have we uh, Cuba on this podcast. Absolutely. Cuba Stan. <laughs> they have a vaccination rate. That's like, um, I think almost 75%, like they're reaching mm. kind of like the highest levels that in like the most vaccinated States here, um, certainly surpassing us nationally. Mm. And they're a country that's been, like basically blockaded by the U.S., right? Just cut off from the rest of the trade. Yeah. And the doctor on here earlier said that, oh, well, they're a poor country, so whatever they're doing is probably not right. <laughs> I, was I mean, just, just a I mean, I, baby brain understanding system, of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, the Cuban medical system is, I think, like, something worthy of admiration, no matter how fucking rich you are in this country. Mm -hmm. Like, they right. will educate you for free. Um and I think I, I really love like their example of healthcare, where they have primary care doctors and nurses embedded into the community. And there was a quote that I read from a news article that said, like, if you miss your annual, your doctor will come and find you. Like there's yeah. this like kind of deep integration of like medicine into the community where this is like not only, you know, just a privilege or something that you have to pay for, but it's like your God given right as a citizen of this country and they're going to take care of you. And they haven't needed to implement a mandate because like there is a widespread epistemic trust in the doctors, in the science, like mm -hmm. in the healthcare system of that country because they are complete, like their situation is completely different to capital, right? Like 
Whereas in America, like all of our healthcare, medical and science structures, even the public ones, like have to have some relationship to capital or are used by capital, like say in big pharma, like pharmaceutical companies use tons and tons of research that are funded by the public to develop like products and medications that they ultimately get all the profit for. Like all the Mm -hmm. profit is like privatized. Um, So if you remove that sense of like profiteering, then like your relationship to medicine and healthcare can look completely different where you do trust your doctor because the first thing your doctor's office asks isn't, can you pay $40 right now? It's just, oh, like, do you want to see your doctor? Do you have a problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they they are also being recognized by a lot of people nationally. Um, even in even in Massachusetts, there are care providers that are petitioning to um let them come over so they can like uh talk about what type of health care that how how they're doing it and what what is wrong what is bad they've been trying to petition to get biden to allow that for about two years now and he hasn't really said anything about it um but the fact that even people in a different system are now reaching out to cubans on their health care um and i just think it's so hilarious that people who are not that that are still thinking that Cuba doesn't have a good healthcare system. Like it's like, where is the disconnect? Where are you not? Get, where are you getting this information from? But then again, CNN, you know, like we were saying earlier, like it's easy to just critique all what the news article says, but people will literally watch a segment on CNN for twenty minutes and then act like they're really informed. Yep. And you can't do that. And that just means they still have the power even though we could just keep talking about how bad western media is they still have the power and people are still at second nature going to believe majority of what they are saying in contrast to challenging it yeah and all of this is under like severe uh, economic blockade and sanctions like it's actually right. incredible what cuba has been able to do despite how we've been handcuffing them for decades right um <clears throat> from that perspective and they they've been sending doctors overseas i remember when covid was really bad in italy like when it was first yeah. starting uh in the west they were sending doctors to italy into the uh, intensive care units to to help out and they don't ask for anything in return and they don't ask for you know a loan with four percent interest they, they don't do shit like that <laughs> they 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 participate they, in health care they because they're, they're committed point, to right? <laughs> yeah they do it because they're committed to health care they're they they don't do things the way the United States works in a nutshell is if anything's going to get done, somebody has to make money off of it. And, right. and Cuba does not operate on those same uh, premises. Um, if I can just go over the CARES Act real quick, we're talking about kind of the yes. response in the U.S. real quick. I wrote down a couple of things uh, uh, from the CARES Act from from last year. So what this was is basically um, what it was presented in the news, at least, was, uh, you know, for regular people, quote unquote, $1,200 per adult, $500 per child for households with income less than $99,000 for single people, less than $198,000 for uh, couples. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but it's just to illustrate the point. Mm-hmm. Um, the total kind of uh, money in 2020 that went to these uh, the $1,200 payments, um, stimulus payments, was about $300 billion in 2020, $292 billion. Now, the other, f- the flip side of the CARES Act that is not as discussed, um, but should disgust you, is uh, about $258 billion going to the most well-off people in our society, basically the people who own our society. And I'll 
briefly tell you what this uh, entails. So starting from the bottom, $11 billion, this went to eliminating these uh, required distributions from retirement accounts. Every year, you have this federally taxable um, distributions from your 401ks or you know your Vanguard account or whatever. Um, and basically, this uh, eliminated that requirement. And what it, this means is the richest people in the world who don't necessarily need to take out their retirement funds didn't have to do that. So it benefited them uh, disproportionately. Hmm. Uh, $5 billion went toward uh, itemized deductions on federal tax. Usually, you can't deduct more than like 60% of your adjusted gross income. Now, they went to 100%. So that, of course, benefited the most, <laughs> the richest people uh, in the world. Uh, $12 billion went toward corporate interest deductions on uh, federal tax returns uh, from 30% to 50% of earnings uh, before interest tax and depreciation and amortization. Uh, but that's not even the worst of it. Um, $140 billion went uh, toward these pass-through entities, right? So Basically, uh, it allowed the ultra wealthy people like Trump and, and you know, Kushner, people like this. Right. Uh, it allowed them to use paper losses to offset income that was taxed in previous years when tax rates were higher uh, in order to get refunds based on those old tax rates. Right. One hundred and forty billion dollars from that. And then another eighty nine billion dollars uh, from corporate loss uh, treatment. Uh, this was very similar to the pass-through entities. Basically, people or uh, corporations could get refunds up to 35% of losses from up to, I believe, about five years prior. So basically, this was just them presenting on a silver platter saying, here's all the money back from prior years where the tax, uh, uh, where t- corporate taxes were higher. I mean, you can't get around the fact that this is just a complete handout to the richest freaks alive. Yeah. So um, I didn't hear anything about small businesses getting any of that money. I mean, there was the PPP loans, uh, but we know the fiasco and those those funds being doled out, going to giant corporations who are not fucking small businesses, getting PPP loans. That's another way they benefited because they own or they have the ability to hire lawyers and accountants and, you know, regular people don't have access to this stuff. Right. They would do shit like that. So that was another big boon for them. Uh, and there's many other ways that the the richest corporations and people were able to basically get a huge handout uh, when people were getting kicked out of their houses, people were dying from a pandemic. Um, the list goes on. So that that's the response of our of the freest country in the world of the democracy of the United States. That's the response is handing out uh, 250 billion dollars to people who are richer than God, basically. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's um that's crazy. Um just hearing all those numbers and how majority of it went to corporate America and not to working class people. Um it just it automatically just shows what is the priority and how they don't care about the 750,000 people that have lost their lives because of this. Um if they did care, you would see those numbers shift in the total opposite direction. Um, but just like, you know, during the Obama era, when the wall street was, was, uh, bailed out, you Mm -hmm. see the same thing here. Uh, the working class does not get bailed out during a pandemic. The working class struggles more during the pandemic, but the corporate America always will be fine. Um, it it strikes me. I was listening to this, uh, this interview about this rapper where, uh, DJ Blad, who I have issues with, was talking about, um, how he did not apply for the PPP loans or any of those loans because he knew that his 
business was going to be safe. But he told people that also have businesses that are doing well like him, they shouldn't do it, but they did it anyway. And he felt bad. So he was trying to tell, oh, if you have a small business, please apply to this. Please. He was giving out information, doing everything he can. But unfortunately, you know, you see what you just said. That didn't really, you know, benefit. <laughs> I'm like, how does that even happen? I mean, and the, no the priority. About that. The, exactly. Yes. It's the, the priorities of the people in Congress is uh, not to help the people that they represent or the people that elect them. It is to... Uh, funnel money behind the scenes to their richest donors. The political class um, only exists now for their donors, for the corporate class, right? For the for the ruling class, the bouge. Um, that is their that is their goal is to facilitate the continued ownership and continued accumulation of capital into the hands of. Uh, the 1% of the 1%, basically. Mm. And uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, the Democrats, who used to be a quasi-labor-ish, not really, but quasi-labor party in you know the post-war period, uh, once the neoliberal turn, the oil crisis, the stagflation issues in the 1970s, once that came about, the Democrats completely abandoned the working class. And the fact that we're still hoping that um, we can... I don't know. You, we can't fix him, sweetie. You know what I'm saying? We can't fix the right. Democrats. All right. They've made their choice. Right? right. Even though we have Bernie Sanders of the world, we have the Ocasio-Cortez's of the world, the Ilan Omar's, the Rashida Tlaib's. Wonderful. Uh, Jamal Bowman's. E- excellent. I love that. Corey Bush. Um, but you're not going to change uh, the DNC to ca- uh, to get them to care about the working class again. And th- this is a complete aside that I'm not going to get into uh, any further, but you if you want to make enemies for Dell, I'm fine with that. Um, people need Everybody to know. I think the squad can change all of the DNC. They, they really <laughs> do feel that can happen for Dell. I think the only way the squad at this point can uh, make big changes is if all the people I just mentioned, if they at one single turn, uh, formed a uh, actual either labor party party or some kind of uh, actual socialist party at the same time. I think that's the only way they could actually make a meaningful change uh, because I think a third party is the only way that socialist uh, move a socialist movement can actually like tied to labor unions and things like that. That's the only way that you're actually going to get any movement toward uh, working class power. I mean, well, to be, to, to, to be quick on the, on the subject, I thought that that was something that they were actually going to do when I heard about um, Democratic uh, Justice. No, what is it called? They have justice so many Democrat. caucuses now. Yes, but it's, I find out it's just a caucus. And then the Socialist Democrat, the DSA, mm-hmm. uh, they do a lot of good work uh, locally, um, but it's like they're all still part of the Democratic Party. I, I just feel like they should separate. If they yeah. separate... And they show a standard of working power, then we could talk about something new. Yeah. But you know, there's another party called the PSL that's fire as hell. So that's right. About that. <laughs> we no, love Gloria. Hell yeah. about but, that. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's also why I I mean, no matter like how disconnected or connected you are to politics, like I think most people in America understand that like both parties are not on your side right Right. like there's nothing really affecting your day-to-day lives like your rent payment your hourly wage your retirement union like activity whatever like none of that's on the table for either party so like no wonder politics just becomes this like bullshit culture war thing where it's like which bumper sticker you have or Mm -hmm. do you love like 
the thin blue line sticker or do you want the punisher one or it, and yeah, then or it the just rainbow kind of, flag yeah or the rainbow, rainbow flag, flag yeah. and it's like the coexist but it's the coexist with guns and like <laughs> <laughs> like that just becomes your politics and then it just bleeds out where these things were in like previous generations or maybe in other countries wouldn't be a cultural issue or a political issue like vaccinations become a political issue like as if we didn't all have to get like 10 vaccines just to go to public school. Right. Yeah. I hated that. I got my last <laughs> booster shot late when I was like 15. Hmm. And but we all, so- we all did it though. We all had to do it and <laughs> yep. it's good for society because yeah. again, when we talk about vaccines, it's especially the flu vaccine in the past. Right. Um, it's not about you. You're yeah. young. You're not going to die from the flu. Wonderful. But your grandma mm-hmm. might, somebody else's uh, yep. one-year-old might. People who are immunocompromised that you give the the, the flu to. But people, again, don't think that way. In the United States, the most individualistic country in the, on the planet, people don't think in terms of community because why mm-hmm. would they? There is no community in the United States. Yeah, it's all about individualism mm-hmm. in the United That's States. That's what they, they want you to do that. So, like, let's talk about the trust now. So we already said that Cuba, the reason why they're able to do what they can, the, the government is trusted by the people. Um, I mean, of course, you'll see some protesters that are like embedded by the CIA that America sure. likes to yeah. keep showing and be like, oh, look, 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 they're going against yeah, the government. Nuance. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Go to Florida. And kiss that's my right. Ass. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's where y'all at. We gave you a platform. Fidel kicked you out. All right. That's sorry. right. Good luck. <laughs> um, shout out to the king. The trust that they have. And how can we do a contrast and like uh, a contrast and comparison between the trust of the Cubans uh, and the trust of the American government, basically? I mean, if I could state briefly, I mean, yeah, um, yeah, homelessness in the United States. Let's talk about that real quick. Um, before the pandemic, the number I always had in my head was five hundred thousand people are sleeping out in the street every night. That was before the mm-hmm. pandemic, so that's definitely worse now. Um, Sigmund, help me out. What's the homelessness rate in Cuba? Uh, zero percent. Zero percent. That's quoted by the fucking Vatican as well, too. So if y'all really think <laughs> trust the Vatican. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Vatican went over there and was like, damn, there's no homeless people. So yeah, it's like actually, <laughs> yeah, actually, Cuba, they're doing some shit over here. Yeah. Zero percent homelessness in Cuba. Uh, I want to say, what was it? 80, 85 percent uh home oh. ownership rate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we don't even approach that. I think we're probably around 40% here. Like <laughs> Getting lower. I think lower. Yeah. Most people are renting in the United States. Um, literacy in Cuba is pretty much 100%. I believe it's like 99.8%. Everybody um, can read. Everybody it's can amazing. read. Um, and you talk about countries like uh, Finland, Denmark. Uh, they're not socialist countries. They're social dem- democratic countries. But they are introducing into their curriculums how to critically analyze news media sources how to critically analyze uh research articles things like that that other countries definitely are not doing uh mm-hmm. especially the united states so uh, i'm saying other more progressive countries are doing this kind of thing um cuba the medical system you know how many people have medical debt in cuba zero um no medical debt wow zero you know how much it costs to go to the doctor zero dollars so all of these things compound together oh in cuba there's a food stipend for people monthly um, it doesn't matter how much you make. You just get I a food stipend. Um, right. th- it might be a little bit means tested. I don't know the exact number, mm-hmm. but um, in general, most people get a food stipend monthly. Not not the case here. So you want to talk about trust? 
Um, when the government is, or when the polity, whatever, when the people who are uh, representing the working class and the Cuban revolution, when they are um, using the resources at hand, despite, again, incredible economic sanctions, when they're using the resources they have to um, give the working class their basic needs, um, I would I would imagine that would engender trust far more than when the United States funnels money into corporate handouts and corporate subsidies and uh, uh, political donors, basically. That's where our tax money goes. It also goes to funding imperialism, funding forever war, and then right, the technologies right. trickle back down to the consumer market maybe 10 years later. I mean, can you how can you imagine trust can be built when this is the mechanism here? It's just not right. possible. And then you add on to that social media, news media, uh, where propaganda is the, the the name of the game, basically. The the goal is to keep people confused because that keeps people hopeless. Mm. Um, it's very it's a very effective tactic. Mm. And when you can't trust the government, you gotta you gotta fight to switch the system. You gotta fight to change the system. What it's, else can you do? You, what's the point? You Republicans know? are not your friends. The Democrats are not your friends. Big business is not your friend. Who's your friend? Other people who are just as immiserated as you are. Those are your yeah. friends. Those are the people you look to. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think it's important also to just highlight the fact that um, just the narr- the narrative just keeps switching. And I feel like they just keep switching the narrative because it keeps people engaged. But I'm not talking about the narrative of like just COVID in general. Instead of talking about how many people are without health care that have died and how can we fix that? How many people who lost housing and because of the pandemic and how can we fix that? Um, these are very simple things that even the media itself can cover that can help give the government an idea what they should be actually doing instead of, you know, just pandering to whatever they want them to do. Um, It's not a coincidence when you see uh, CIA, um, former CIA officials that are part of CNN, Fox News. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's It's just baffling. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just normal. You know, for people yeah. to see these people who are, yeah, formerly in the CIA, formerly in intelligence, just come on, right. uh, you know, these big news media outlets. Like, we should have no trust for these people just from the outset. Why would right. we trust them? Their and goal people is see to, that. Yeah. The people that know, they see that and they all imagine they're going to be like, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how I am. Like, mm-hmm. 24th, like, uh, but unfortunately, what? a regular person doesn't, you know, doesn't quite frame uh, information in that way. I mean, people see FBI or CIA, they think, well, it's an American agency and America is the freest country in the world. So it must yeah. be credible and obviously like not. But, you know, that is how again, that's how ideology works, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the law sort of uh, sets up the basic groundwork for what you're supposed to follow. Ideology takes on the rest of it, which is the unspoken sort of laws, right? The norms, mm-hmm. the accepted behaviors and psychology, basically, that people will have. And news media and social media uh, sort of uh, shapes that and uh, continues that process. Right. So last question. Um, so we after we already had a beautiful discussion about just distrusting the media and Cuba's the shit and 
how how important it is to um I mean like are you guys saying cuz I heard you mentioned herd immunity Sigmund mm-hmm. um cuz you cuz you fully understand that everybody's going to get vaccinated um at this point especially with the distrust in the in the, in the whole so what do you think the government should do um moving forward what should they do now we know know that they're not going to do this but what what do you guys feel as being doctors and being the shit and all you do is socialists as well too what do you think they should do <laughs> i mean i think if we're gonna talk hypotheticals right yeah, let's like talk the, government, hypotheticals. the government isn't gonna do shit at this point right. um and they've shown itself for the last two years i think what we needed to have done in a functioning society um, would have been to lock down in the earliest days of the pandemic uh, mm-hmm. when we found fa- like when we found out like China did like to say you know what all these small businesses like we'll just pay your rent everyone's just going to get a check to stay home if you're a doctor if you are truly an essential worker um, we will like you know you get hazard pay everyone else stays home and we will like lice all the streets every night for the next two weeks until we know that like no one else is sick like we should have done that and that would have been at the expense of capital um greatly like a lot of you know major multinational companies would have suffered um but i think that's what we needed to do like we needed to bail out the people in a huge kind of society-wide way to show that like yes like this is a serious pandemic and you should take it seriously and then i think it, like even in america like people's reactions would have been different right cuz i feel like there was such a like a like a conflicting message where you're being told to stay home and you're being told to um you know wear a mask and wash your hands and blah 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 but like all the businesses are allowed to be open like you just have to get a carry out and like um, people are just working, you know, shoulder to shoulder um, in restaurants, like in the kitchens. Oh, yeah. And then like no one's getting any relief. No one's being paid for all this extra dangerous working situations that they're being put into. Like, how are they supposed to take it seriously? They actually um, took our bonuses away. I'm just going to add that. That's uh, fucked up. Worker, I'm kind of pissed about that. What? But... Go ahead. Continue. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I did get a little challenge coin from the hospital that I was. I working. got that too. <laughs> I know. I feel hey, like we we gotta like got, sell it. Remember the chal- Remember the the coin that I got from you. Coin too. It's like Incredible. thank you for you know working skeleton crews and seeing like forty percent more patients than we ever have. <laughs> like here's a challenge coin. Thanks, dude. Can I tell you what um, my hospital gave? Well, it was actually, actually, it was our department, the anesthesia department. You know what they gave us? Yeah. Uh, and they mailed it to us for some reason. The first time they mailed us a Hershey bar. And the <laughs> second, I don't think I ever told you this. Segment. Yeah. And the second time they mailed us a, a little packet this big of goldfish and a couple of, a couple of wintergreen mints. Oh, wow. At so Duke, that- they gave out literal rocks to nurses. For being oh yeah, <laughs> wow, yeah, it's like rocks. kindergarten craft class. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, like all these like bullshit, you know. Oh, healthcare heroes work here. Like instead of that, if we genuinely materially provided for people so that they mm-hmm. took it seriously later, I think that would have been the biggest difference for yeah. me. And how do you feel, lastly? Because 
I agree with all that. And it's funny. Um, we're going to wrap this up soon, but when you mentioned China, when they said that when China went on lockdown, everyone in the everybody like in social media was like, "Oh, this is authoritarian authoritarianism as fuck." They're locking people into their homes. Like, do, do you see any videos of them actually like boarding people into their homes? Like, where are you getting this from, bro? Because a lot of that is false. <laughs> yeah, it's fake. Like, and also, like, a lot of that is China, fake, I mean, I have to say, like, there was an NPR interview with like a public health expert, and he was framing this as if it's a bad thing, but like, China didn't have enough widespread widespread transmission to even have mm-hmm. the stats to know like how bad it is like mm-hmm. that's how intensely good they uh, they were at like locking down yeah mm-hmm. do you want you want pictures of what china was up to during the pandemic wuhan opened up and had a giant fucking concert like a few mm-hmm. months after uh i think uh the one of the first surges in the united states mm-hmm. so you want right. to talk about their response oh it's, again this is what i was talking about earlier oh it's authoritarianism it's sort of, well who does authoritarian who does the authority serve it right. served the people clearly because right. COVID is not really a problem in China at, at the very least relative to United, the United States or the West. Right, right, in general. Right, right, right. They had like right. one case at um, Disneyland there and they literally locked in like 30,000 people and tested them and said, you can't leave until the next, mm-hmm. like the negative results show up. And they like wipe, like just, you know, 99% alcohol, like the entire place. But I mean, and again, but- like, at least they're doing something that's what it takes that's what it takes exactly and like here inconvenience but you're still getting your life stage like they're testing you and testing everybody you know and how much are we inconvenienced here but it's just by it's it's just the invisible hand of the market right like it's never in service of the greater good of society or if it is it's like kind of you know sideways or like related to it tangentially but like ultimately all the inconveniences here all the bullshit that we have to live through here is in service of capital like we could live with all these inconveniences but if it were for like the betterment of society i think like people would be happier right it's like tax money how do you guys feel about the healthcare workers that are being um let go as we speak, that have already been on the front lines at, since the beginning. How do you guys feel about that? Big, big like topic. they were called heroes, and now they're called zeros at the end of the day, basically. We're only heroes if we do it for free. That's that's my take on it. Not for free, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Um, basically, yeah. for a, a wage cut, if you think about it, I mean, if you want to bring in the inflation that's been going on since we pumped $4 trillion into the economy, um, basically from central bank money going into it, this is kind of the scheme. Central bank money, they need to pump it in somehow. They're definitely not going to give it to regular people. We know that because we live in hell and the government does not represent working people. So what the central banks do is they basically either interest-free uh, or even negative interest, give this money out to companies, say, here's some money, uh, do what you will with it. Um, because we, we couldn't lower the interest rates anymore, basically, yeah. for, you know, from uh, the fiscal policy perspective. So what these companies did, instead of using this to, uh, I don't know, pay their workers more, make sure that people uh, weren't laid off, um, or even have it, quote unquote, trickle down, hate that word, but we'll just use it, rather than it trickle down in any meaningful sense, you know what these companies did? They bought their own stock. Okay, excellent. What a great response. Uh, (laughs) to To give the money to these companies, oh, how do we help society? We'll buy our own stock and have the stock price go up. So, so this disconnect that people are wow. seeing a ton, 
how how is there so much unemployment? How is there so much precarity and uh, people losing their uh, getting kicked out of their homes? Blah blah blah. And yet the stock market looks incredible. Doesn't make any sense. Well, this is first of all just a perfect illustration of how the economy is not uh, the stock market. First of all, um, and it's an illustration of how the rich absolutely control uh, almost every aspect of our lives, right? Um, the, the fact that this money was given from central banks to companies and not the people tells you a lot. And the response of the companies that got this money tells you everything. Um, the response, your question was, what should we have done? You know, uh, hypothetically pay people to stay home. It's really as simple as that. You pay people to stay home. You wait for the virus to subside because you're going to have these peaks and valleys. That's just the nature of it. And as we've seen. Um, especially if you're going to take into account that people are suspicious of the vaccine, they're suspicious of the science and blah, blah, blah. Then the only thing you can really do if you're not going to do a, a full on mandate is to have a functioning, uh, a public that says whenever we're having a spike, we shut down. Okay. And we pay people to stay home and you do that indefinitely until you get to a rate of, uh, herd immunity that's acceptable that you think is acceptable and you follow the numbers. Um, this kind that's of static. Was that a little bit, but now you just don't care. Connecticut was doing that, but now mm -hmm. you just don't care. Some places yeah. were doing that, but um, yeah. on a national level, uh, wholly inadequate, and it's a very static response. We're going to do this and see what happens. No, it should have been on a rolling basis. As we see cases rise, we pay people to stay home, watch the numbers come down, reopen. It's right. really as simple as that. That's a much, um, that's a that's a response that makes a lot more sense than to pump trillions of dollars into companies that just buy their own stock. And to uh, hold up these zombie companies uh, to bail out <laughs> fucking Boeing, to bail out yeah. fucking uh, the, um, what do you call it, the, the cruise line industry, to bail out all of these uh, industries that honestly uh, don't need to exist uh, or should right. be nationalized, frankly. But um, I think you were getting to kind of the healthcare workers who refuse to be vaccinated. And oh, yeah. Being... So, I mean, I think the question is the same for like anybody who's made like i think if you're a healthcare worker and you've seen like the damage that covid has done and how sick people get and if you are a healthcare worker like you've already had all of your shots and you have to have your flu shot every year and it's not just for your protection it's also for like your patients that you're working with and maybe even more importantly like your coworkers. Like before we had the vaccine, like there were outbreaks in the hospital, like of people not having adequate like space to, you know, spread out when we're having lunch or when we're documenting, like one person mm -hmm. gets sick and then like 10 people who were in the room with them, like now have to quarantine and they can't go to work. You're at the um, mercy of people who may or may not be taking it seriously. You just have yes. to hope they are. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And so while I understand how horribly these healthcare workers have been treated, not just in the last two years, but like pretty much the entire time in the medical system in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to kind of step back and see this as like a safety thing just for you and your coworkers and your patients and no longer a political thing. Um, but I feel like that's really, really hard in absence of any other changes in the system. It's not about you. I'll say it again. Vac vaccination truly is not about you. Um, mm. if you're worried about the 
uh, side effects of the vaccine. Sure, I was too, but guess what? I did it anyways because I was actually yeah. more afraid yeah, of the virus. And uh, guess what? We live in society also. So I'm a little bit worried about uh, if I gave it to my dad. I was a little worried if I gave it to my grandma or your grandma or your kid. I mean, mm -hmm. again, when you live in a place where there is no community, where there is no trust, where there is no solidarity, why should you care about anybody but yourself? That is the mm -hmm. mentality that this specific historically contingent culture war has created in the United States, uh, a climate of why should I care about any, but anybody but myself? And that's only further um, propped up by this individualistic nature of our society. Yeah. And yeah. to address those, I think hospitals should give should have given like generous sick leave for anyone who did get COVID. They should have given sick leave and time for people to get, get vaccinated. They should have provided, you know, extra stipends for childcare, mm -hmm. like all of these things that would have engendered epistemic trust of the workers for like the system that they work for. Right. Not just like, here's a fucking needle. Otherwise you're getting fired. Yeah. And yeah. some, some hospitals truly, they, um, are running a, a tight ship, community hospitals, rural hospitals, mm -hmm. they are constantly at risk of, and again, this is the problem when healthcare is for profit, this shouldn't be a fucking consideration that hospitals might go broke, go out of business. You know, yeah, you live crazy. in some rural place that's two hours away from an academic center, but then your hospital goes broke. How the fuck does that make sense? Either way. Yeah. Your hospital um, going broke. <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. It's unconscionable. It's insane. Uh, it's insane. But um, the, the reality is that these hospitals, um, a lot of them, again, especially in rural places, are sort of on the margins and they are either in the black or in the red. So they don't they didn't have the money to give to healthcare workers. But when you're talking about the giant conglomerates, the regional uh, powerhouses that are making 20, 30 billion dollars in, in profit a year. And it's just, oh, we just don't have the funds to give to our fucking heroes, quote unquote. If you think we're heroes, put your money where your mouth is. Right. right, right. Uh, but no, very few places were actually doing that. Or they're saying, oh, we're going to do one, two percent pay raises over whatever this amount of time. Well, when, when inflation, inflation is <laughs> when inflation is six to eight percent, that's a that's a pay cut. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. That's that's, you know, the people who think they know the economy. That's that's the reality. Yeah, um, they're saying everybody's getting four percent. I'm just like, all right. Thank you. <laughs> OK, so a two percent pay 4%? cut. Got right. It. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. And part of that is the historical uh, loss in productivity in the uh, sort of industry, right? Um, and sort of like the production center as opposed to finance. Again, a totally mm -hmm. different conversation. But finance capital is doing extremely well right now. Industrial capital growth has been uh, stagnating for, again, the past 40, 50 years since the neoliberal period. It makes sense from that uh, perspective and that progression. So um, some of the biggest hospitals are doing well. Absolutely no excuse to not pay your alleged heroes, uh, but other hospitals uh, actually are on the on the margins and are at risk of bankruptcy. And guess what? Those giant hospitals are waiting for that to happen so they can buy them out. Yep. So this is a giant conversation, and I'm, I'm I feel like I'm all over the place, but no, no, uh, that's my thing. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you so much, Sigmund and um, Fidel, for uh, coming on and talking about um, the COVID and the working class issues and stuff like that. There's so much more that we can talk about. Um, so I would love to have y'all back on another time and stuff. But definitely everybody that's listening, check out their podcast. Uh, look, I did it again and put it right behind again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is fancy. <laughs> right, this go. is a whole production. Is very fancy. Mar yeah. Marxistandmedicine.com. 
Um, this I'm gonna tell you right now, the way things is going, oh god, I didn't get you. The way things is going, um, video uh, you know, algorithm wise, this this video probably is going to get uh put on notice on Facebook and YouTube and stuff like that. But Spotify has always did great for me in, in Anchor and stuff like that. So um definitely uh, uh check I'm gonna send you guys a link on the audio. Um and then I'll try to do the video and see how that goes for the first two weeks. <laughs> but good. probably it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's okay. We were That's made right. for radio, I feel like. That's right. Yeah. Like, I have oh, a face only mom about, can love. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about Cuba. Oh, monetize <laughs> this shit. <laughs> we would love to come back and sing praises for the Cuban medical system. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's it should at this point just be like the actual fact instead of just all the like I hate just the whole concept of poor country why is the country poor because their resources are being exploited or because they are going through some type of sanctions embargo all that stuff so if humans are making this country poor the country is never poor they're making it poor because they want what is there and they're exploiting it that's what that's what it is like that's a that's a michael parenti original i think the these uh you know quote third world countries are not underdeveloped they're overexploited yeah exactly that you just yep michael parenti just say that i love that guy i wish i could talk to him (laughs) yeah shout out all right well let's wrap this up i'll thank you thank you so much comrades for coming on and um have a very very good day Uh, let's stay in touch nice to meet you fidel yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks for having us. It Thanks was uh, us. it was fun. See you guys later. Take care. Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. Volume and unity. Divine light shining individually. Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost, politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together, give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture, it's one love, one growth, 